Father God, we give you thanks for Robin, and especially for his willingness to come and share his reflections inspired by your Holy Spirit on this important passage for all of us. Bless him, Lord, and give him your words, and give us listening ears and willing hearts to respond. Amen. You need to click up, of course you can. I'm just going to uh, raise this a bit so I can see what I'm reading. Try not to pull it right out. Okay. Starting in the right way. Start right. Or should it be Start right. I don't know whether this logo is familiar to many of you. Uh, It's a long time since Elizabeth and I bought any shoes for toddlers, uh, for any of our children. Um, Our youngest is now, what, 30-odd or something? Into his 30s. (laughs) So it's a dim and distant memory. Uh, And Actually, I wasn't even sure whether start right shoes were still being sold, but I'm told reliably that they are. In fact, that's where I lifted this from, from a, 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 their website, if you can afford them, that is. I think that's why it's in gold, because uh, I'm not sure that they're that cheap. Here's a, a slightly older version of that uh, logo in color, but here's what's probably the original version. I don't, know, I don't know whether there was one before that, but that's the oldest one I could find. A little bit fuzzy, I'm sorry about that. But see what it says. Well begun is half done. In other words, what Start Right is claiming is that you've got to buy the right first shoes for your kids. But that's not the end of it. You've got to keep on buying the correct shoes as they grow up and out of their shoes, shoes you've already shelled out for. And it struck me how like the Christian life that is. Now, some of you have come today uh, because you've brought your children to church to be baptized or dedicated sometime in the last year or so. Some of you are here because of the baptisms today. And I want to suggest to you that baptism is the starting rite of the church, R-I-T-E. Interesting that Start Right spells its trade name R-I-T-E. I don't know why they do that. Uh, same as rite as it is applied to a religious ceremony such as baptism. Baptism is where we begin the Christian life. And that applies to whichever form of baptism we choose for our children or indeed for ourselves. And I think it's worth saying that over the centuries, the church, I I think, and I say this quite candidly, I think the church has made an utter mess of baptism. Some parts of the church baptize children. I don't know who these people are. They were just hapless people on Google Images. (laughs) That's one mode of doing it, and we've seen that today. And and that's done to the child well before they can understand or actively take part in what's going on. In that case, others, the parents, godparents, some of you, uh, make promises. And we, the church, make promises on behalf of the child. And it is hoped and it's expected uh, that at some time time in the future, the child will grow up into the Christian faith, have have put their trust in Christ, and he or she will go through a rite, another rite of confirmation and make those promises and commitments their own. Those two young people who were baptized today were baptized by adult 
baptism. And so, in a sense, they're already confirmed. They've made those promises. On the other hand, and I confess this is where I stand on the issue as a Baptist minister, you know, it's, it, it, it is one of the wonderful things about this church is that we have come together from different traditions and backgrounds. And maybe some of you have got quite strong beliefs and convictions about baptism, about how it should be done or how not. But we just get on together and we see the bigger picture rather than the nitty-gritty. And I think that's so important. That's one of the joys of uh, having or uh, of working with you and your leadership uh, over these last few months. But as, as I, uh, where, I stand at, where I stand on the issue, I say, no, a person must be competent to make their own choices. That's me. Uh, so, we, uh, so, so we only baptize believers in, in the Baptist churches. And the mode of baptism will normally be by immersion of water, either something like that. I think that's a brilliant picture, don't you? That's Joel. I don't know Joel. Is, is Joel around? Um, being baptized by the bucket lifted you by Peter, beloved Peter. And over there on the left is, um, ah, I've forgotten her name, Shannon. <laughs> and you can sort of tell she's next, can't you? <laughs> Priceless facial expressions. I love that picture. I really think it's great. And here's me. Uh, this is at Water Beach Baptist Church where I was the minister for a while with one of our youth leaders baptising one of our own young people. Different forms. Lots of water. Varying amounts of water, anyway. The original Greek word from which we get the English word baptism means to thoroughly immerse in water. And today, two of our young people have been baptised by having buckets of water tipped over them. Uh, we don't have a baptismal pool in this church yet. Yet, I'm not sure whether there's one planned for uh, the extensions, but um, what we call effusion as opposed to dunking has actually it does have a good Baptist pedigree because uh, the first two proper Baptists by general reckoning, you can talk to Ian um, Randall about this, two guys called Thomas Helwis and John Smythe were baptised by having port water poured over them. They're reckoned to be the first two Baptists of the sort of semi-modern era. John Smythe baptised himself, and then he baptised Thomas Helwis and the rest of the small pioneering community uh, congregation in the same way, and that was in Amsterdam. I believe it was in 1609. John Smythe did have doubts about what he'd done later on, but that was John Smythe. He was a bit like that, I understand. But that's the history, and it's all in the mists of history. And I think the devil can play havoc with us if we start getting overly dogmatic about what should or shouldn't be done, especially in a place like this where we come together from all these different traditions. What I think is generally agreed, though, is that baptism marks the start of the Christian life. It's the first step of our discipleship. First step of the baby Christian. Whether that individual is a few weeks or months old, or is positively ancient, like some of us. And as, I, as a Baptist minister, I would say, I don't baptize babies, but I do baptize baby Christians. We become Christians by trusting in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's how we're born again. And a person who has just been born again is a spiritual baby and needs the sort of attention that a, an ordinary human baby needs. 
all the stuff you can imagine it, can't you? And it happens in a sort of spiritual way too. Feeding, changing of nappies, keeping them clean. And they scream a lot sometimes anyway. And the first step of their discipleship is the starting rite, baptism. When Jesus left the earth behind, we've already had this text uh, brought to our attention this morning, but when Jesus left the earth behind, was lifted up into the sky after his resurrection, what we, 40 days after the resurrection, what we call ascension, his ascension, he gave the church its charter, and I believe this is a, a charter which applies and has applied to the church all down the ages until even to today. It's how Jesus wanted the church to continue his work here on earth. And in Matthew 28, verse 18, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, this is Jesus, therefore go and make disciples. That's the issue, making disciples. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name or into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And, and this is the bit we often forget, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus' priority that he passed on to the church, and I believe it applies, as I say, to every generation of the church until he comes again, his priority was making more disciples. He wanted followers, people who would make a lifelong commitment to learn and live the Christian life. And that is what a disciple is. And the place to start is baptism. He told his then disciples to make disciples not just by baptizing people, but by teaching them how to follow. How to learn to walk properly. Baptism was only the start. Just like the start right slogan, well begun is half done. And that's where we start to take notice of what Paul is writing to his younger colleague, Timothy. I guess that's, you were wondering when I was going to get to that. But here we are. Some of you have heard quite a bit about Timothy over the past few weeks as you've been coming to church. Um, but I think it's worth just reminding you of a couple of points. Paul first met Timothy at Timothy's hometown, a place called Lystra, which is slap bang in the middle of what today we call Turkey. And you can check that out in Acts chapter 16. Timothy was already a believer. I'm not sure whether it's true to say he was a Christian as such, but he was more likely to be what the Bible calls a God-fearer, which was a Gentile who had adopted the, who had come into the, the Jewish faith. And uh, we know he was a Gentile because although his mother and grandmother were Jewish, his father was a Gentile. He wasn't Jewish. Uh, and uh, as you read that passage, you, you, you get the feeling that his father probably wasn't even a believer. But his Jewish mother and grandmother taught him the Bible. What to us is the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, which, were, of course, were available in Greek. So that's probably what he read, just as Jesus and his disciples did. Paul mentions these two godly women earlier in the second letter to Timothy, in chapter two, verse uh, sorry, in Second Timothy chapter one, verse five. He says to Timothy, "I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois." and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, now lives in you also. But what I want to underline for us all today is the importance that Paul gives to the Bible. The Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He says that Timothy has known these Scriptures from infancy. 
And it was that knowledge that brought him to the point in his own life when he placed his trust in Christ. He became a Christian through that decision to give his life to Christ and so receive the gift of eternal life, just like each of us who have made that commitment to Christ. But Paul says to him, continue in what you have learned. Keep on, Timothy. Don't depart from what the Scriptures say. Why? Because, what we read in verses 16 and 17, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, or the, the version that we heard read said, all God's people, uh, I'm actually reading from a slightly later version of the NIV than you are. Uh, either way, it doesn't make any difference. All of us are involved in this, so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, Paul was writing this letter right at the end of his earthly life. If we had read further in chapter 4, we would have seen that. I think we'll see it next week, won't we, Fiona? He expected to be, as he put it, poured out. He expected to die. And he had the glorious prospect before him of meeting his Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, and receiving from his hand the reward for his faithfulness. And we know from sources outside the Bible that Paul was actually executed by a Roman sword, the Roman sword. Maybe he knew that day was looming very soon. And so he wanted to encourage Timothy to get on with the work that God had given him to do. For him, it was the leading of the church in Ephesus, a church which Paul knew intimately. And that involved teaching and preaching and sorting out people who didn't always live out the Christian life too effectively, just a bit like us really, if you think about it. There were times uh, when he would have to correct people, even rebuke them, but always encouraging them to keep on in their Christian pathway as disciples of Jesus. And the textbook for all of this is the Bible. For him, the Old Testament, as it happened, and just think about how blessed we are 20 centuries later on to have the New Testament as well. But what Paul's words tell us is that it's all there in the Old Testament. Everything we really need to know is there, believe it or not. Indeed, I don't believe we will properly understand the New Testament if we neglect the Old. What I really want to impress on each of us today is that the Christian life is a process. It's a process of lifelong learning. Yes, it's right to start off with baptism, whatever form you choose for yourself or your children. But that's not the end. It's only half the job. It's more than half the job, really. Christians are not made just by being baptised, but by their commitment to follow Christ and learn his ways. And that takes a lifetime. And the oldest of us here is still learning. I hope we've got the, the humility to realise that we've not yet grown into the fullness of Christ. That we need to keep learning, we need to keep growing. But for that thing, for, sorry, but for that we have two things. Remember how Timothy had a mother and grandmother who taught him how to become a Christian. They taught him the scriptures. And that's our role today as parents and godparents and church leaders and church members in young church, in youth church, youth leaders, that all the leaders, we all have a role to play 
We may not actually ourselves have children, or our children may be grown up, but we are surely aunts and uncles and grandparents. And we're all here to nurture the baby Christians among us so that they can grow up and become men and women of faith and so that they themselves one day become as we are, ready and able to lead others to Christ and to nurture them in the faith. And I said there were two things. The first is us. Well, I missed a slide. Yeah. First is us. The second is the place we get it from. Timothy's mother and grandmother got it from the Bible. And there is no other source of God's wisdom. We cannot get our understanding of the Christian faith and what Jesus wants of us from anywhere else. There is no other place. And I want to appeal to you, parents of young children, leaders of children and young people, I want to appeal to you to get into the Bible. I know many of you are already. But there's, we need to have a thirst for Scripture. We need to get into it and study it. Another place in Timothy says, study to show yourself approved of God. A workman. We need to be workmen who dig into the Bible, discover truths for ourselves, which we'll just discover that somebody else has discovered at some other point, but they're, they're, they're fresh for us. And it's God's breathed out message of love for each one of us. And if we take seriously the promises we have made, either today or sometime in the past, when our children were baptized or dedicated, we need that wisdom and that insight that only the Bible has to offer. Maybe when you made those promises, and I know it's, I, I'm certain it's true of many people who bring their children to church. Maybe not so much today because all, all of us who were involved in uh, the baptisms or bringing or as parents are already part of the church. But I'm sure that in many places people bring their children to church and they haven't really got much idea of what's going on. I think that's very sad, but, I, but unhappily it's true. Perhaps you weren't clear on the fact that baptism as a right cannot take that place of personal commitment, of trust for salvation in Christ. But if that's so, let me just simply say this. If you are at all uncertain, you don't need to leave this church today still wondering because there are lots of people around us who would happily talk to you, maybe pray with you, certainly help you to understand God's desires for you and your children and bring you hopefully into a fuller understanding and experience of what it is for you yourself to be a child of God. And there's a prayer table at the back. Uh, and there will be those there at the end of the service who would just love to pray with you. That's what they're there for. Just to talk to you about any of this stuff. And they would count that a great privilege. Finally, let me just say this. I do occasionally come across parents, and I have done in the past. I remember a school friend particularly who I was trying to get along to church and... Uh, this is what he said about his own parents. He said he had parents who said that they didn't want to influence him in any way. And you come across people like that who don't want to influence their children either about the Christian faith, positively or negative, or, or about other faiths, for that matter. And so they do nothing. They don't teach their children about God or Jesus or the Bible. They don't send them to Sunday school or young church. I'm so glad that my own parents brought me up 
with an understanding of the Christian faith. I'm so glad that they believed it themselves and they made sure that I was taught the great Bible stories, especially the greatest story of all, that Jesus died on the cross so that I could become one of his followers, a disciple, and have the certain hope of heaven when this life is over. And if they hadn't done that, if they had taught me nothing about Jesus and the Bible, where would I have started to look for the truth when I reached the age and maturity to make up my own mind? Especially when there are so many strident voices around today who say that it's foolish to believe what the Bible says. What I want to say to you is that it is crucially important that we teach our children and young people the truth of Scripture. It's God's truth. Yes, they do have to make up their own minds, ultimately. They have to decide whether or not to ask for baptism or confirmation themselves. But they certainly need the education that only you can give them on which they ultimately will make those crucial decisions. And those decisions have eternal consequences. I just want to leave you as I finish with a verse from the book of Proverbs. Here it is. Proverbs 22.6 Start children off on the way they should go and even when they are old they will not turn from it. That was true for me. I am so grateful to God for that. I pray it will be true for all of our children. Start right but don't neglect what must follow so that they grow in understanding and come to that day when they will make their own commitment to Christ. Let's bow in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for Scripture. We thank you for those who originally penned the words. We thank you that they were breathed into by you and they penned those words inspired by you, Father God. And we thank you too for those who down the ages have taken those words and translated them into different languages and most of all into the language that we speak and so that we have the Bible in our own hands in words that we can understand. We're so grateful for men like William Tyndale and others who were actually killed because of their passion that others should read your word. We pray, Lord, that you'll give us the grace to receive your word, to open it, to read it, to study it, to make it part of the fabric of our lives so that we may be fully equipped for every good work. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.